Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Good and Pastor Brett Bow and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right. We're all pastors. Yes. It's not, not, not il pastor. We're all pastor. pastors. There's a pastor. difference. Il pastor is Although, food. You're, you're technically not serving as a pastor, but pastoring the flock of students. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm teaching them. Teaching. Yes. Yes. None of us have been defrocked in the last week. I think that's what we've established. <laughs> well, yes. we don't know that, to be fair. <laughs> Based on when this episode will air versus when it's being uh, recorded, honestly, all options are still on the table. That's, yeah. that's true. Right. Yeah. Especially in my case. I'm a little worried, you know. <laughs> About you? School. Or, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, there's a lot of pressure. There but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. Yeah. No, thankful to have you in that role. Um, and we're glad to be talking about the scripture today. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at a text from 1 Samuel 8 yeah, as we continue our discussion the last two weeks on Augsburg Confession, Article 16 on civil authority or civil government. And uh, I will read this text about uh, the people demanding a king. So let's dig into that. All right. First right. Samuel 8, uh, verses 1 through 9. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of, your, of the people in all that they say to you, for they, have not reject, they are not rejecting you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Uh, there's a bunch more after that, but we'll just stop there uh, for the sake of uh, our discussion here. Amen. 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 So a couple things I noticed I want to get right out of the way. I can't tell you yeah. how many times I've read this passage. Dozens. Uh, <laughs> and I've known about the existence of Samuel's son. Yeah, this is the literally the first time I realized his sons had names. Yeah, me too. Oh yeah, actually. yeah. I was just Joel. thinking. I didn't know Joel he had a son named a, Joel. Abijah, <laughs> Wasn't that yeah. interesting? Right. Like, did that just get dropped in on the updated version <laughs> or something? Yeah, the new ESV? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you walked into Samuel's house and see the picture on the wall. And, yeah. Oh, it, there's Joel. It has, it has <laughs> the name Joel and calligraphy with the definition yes. that's made up and doesn't have anything to actually do. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Wild lion-hearted man or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly like that. Uh, uh, the second thing is, um, and, and this is way inside baseball, how much of a reaction I have to the name Rama okay. instead of pronouncing it Rama, which I have always done. Oh. Rama, 
was also the name uh, of a university uh, in Oklahoma oh, oh. Uh, of the prosperity gospel wing of the church. Oh. Although it's How spelled, did I pronounce it? You spelled rhema. Rhema? But okay. it, it's, it's the Greek rhema, word for yeah, word. It's yeah. the Greek word for spoken Spain. word. Yeah. yeah. Right. R-H-E-M-A. But yeah, uh, we used to play them in <laughs> basketball when we were at the Bible college. I don't think rhema even exists anymore. It, I don't know if they do or not, but I played them. And yeah, I mean, the whole health and wealth thing, they had it, at well, least when I space. played them. I mean... We, the athleticism, I mean, they just, you know, named it and claimed it. They, they smoked us. Got but, dunked on a lot. Uh, uh, to, to retaliate, we used to refer to Rama as Rama Bible Church and Casino. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Uh-oh. But that, that was only because mostly they were just wiping the floor with us. <laughs> we retaliated. But anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah. That was a major digression. But, yeah, it's amazing how many times you can read the Word of God yeah. and then just some instinct yeah, like literally. stands out. I had no idea that Samuel's sons had names yeah. until, you know, two minutes ago. <laughs> the thing that stood out to me is um, the thing that stood out to me is when it, God says to Samuel, "Behold, you are old." Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like I, I don't know if you noticed, man. I know you don't got a mirror or anything, but I mean, you're getting a little gray, and we got to figure something right. out here because yes. this isn't working with the yep. kids. Yeah, uh, right. I'd love to do a study of. Of scripture when God just declares the obvious. <laughs> yeah. Like like the first words he says to Joshua in the book of Joshua is Moses is dead. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Joshua, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm here, you know. But but these obvious statements from God kind of retune us back to reality. I think there's yeah. a theology yeah. behind uh, the church of today completely denying reality. How much of the church uh what we do in the church today is is built off of denial of death. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we, we, we've gotten so far and and I know a lot of people use it earnestly and I know pastors I respect use the term, but I refuse to use the term passed away. Mm -hmm. I I just, and and, and it's my understanding one that passed away comes from Christian science, the, the cult of Christian science Right. Hmm. Uh, is the Mary Baker Eddy. Yeah, is that right? Say I Tom think she. Cruise. Yeah, no, that's Scientology. <laughs> oh I think, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I might be wrong on this. I think Mary Baker Eddy coined it's... the term "passed away," oh, but it's sure. it's the, the church of today refuses to deal with death. Yeah. And you know, God comes in and says something. You're old, or Moses is dead. It, it strikes us that oh wait, death is real, and instead we call it "passed away," and we have celebrations of life instead of death and funerals. Right. Uh, and, and in doing that. Uh, the church denies the the glorious hope of the resurrection. In, in, in doing this, uh, Samuel has done what everyone else has done up to that time. It's, it's this the position of judge, the position of priest. It was a hereditary position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Eli had passed on the the priesthood to his sons until Samuel walked in after his Eli's sons were corrupt. Now the same thing happens. And, and God approaches Eli and, or, or, and Samuel and says, you got to do something about this. We got to prepare for this transition. And like you said, he says this obvious thing, you are old. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, one of the things that stood out to me in, in reading this, uh, that verse seven, they've rejected me from being king over them. And you know, it's like this Christian cliche in the last year, year plus of, you know, no matter who is president, Jesus is king. You know, that, that, sort, oh. of, that sort of sentiment. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the way our Christian culture tends to talk about civil government and, and so on. And um, so what is it about this text that helps us think through um, the application of these points? 
Well, first, I'm going to have to backtrack a second. It's not God speaking to Samuel, you are old. It's the people saying that you are old. Oh, oh right. yes, yes. yes. This yes. is what happens when you get caught up in the I, fact that a I, guy uh, named Joel yeah. is <laughs> popping out of nowhere well, into the. Yeah, I, I really did this to say to to John Legness, our friend, and in, in, in <laughs> I saved you an email on that one, John. You don't uh, have to correct yeah, us. We right. got it out of the uh, way. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I but, would have heard about that. For uh, sure. Where this comes into play with Article 16, where our point of intersection is, is that what we see in First Samuel 8 is a, an example of what the Christian freedoms described in Article 16 happens when those become idols. Mm. And this mm-hmm. is exactly what happened to the politics yeah. of uh, Israel, yeah. and, and in fact, what's happening to politics on either side of the aisle sure. in the church today, is that uh, the people in chasing after a king just like the other nations yeah. were rejecting God and rejecting God's will for their lives and instead trying to do it a different way. Mm. And, and that's where, the, you know, the, the triangulation between the Book of Concord, uh, Augsburg Confession, Article 16, and Samuel and Israel and us in modern day, that's where we close that loop. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so... End of episode, right? Yep. Yeah. Good talking with you guys. Yeah. End of an episode. We made up for going over the last few episodes. <laughs> Sorry I brought in heresy yeah. and attributed words of men to words of God. Oh. <laughs> unauthorized fire. Unauthorized Definitely fire. unauthorized yes. fire. Yes. Uh. No, but, you know, you, you look at uh, why did the Israelites want a king? Right. And, and, and that phrase, yeah. and I just preached on this passage this like two months ago, hmm. that phrase, uh, we want a king like the nations. Yeah, they, they wanted to be like the world around them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and it, the fact that they didn't, the fact that they wanted a king wasn't bad because, in fact, God predicted in Deuteronomy that they would want a king, and, and he made provisions all the way back in Deuteronomy for the monarchy. But, but, but the damning phrase at the beginning here of, of 1 Samuel 8 is like the other nations. Right. So uh, the, the difference between the people's king and God's king is the people want a king like the other nations. God eventually appoints a king after his own heart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in right. David. And, and that's the difference. And sure. that's where politics becomes idolatry. So if, if we're going to transition into modern day and look at what Article 16 says, it's entirely appropriate for Christians to hold political office. It's entirely appropriate for, for Christians to serve as judges, to serve as lawyers, to serve as soldiers. But when serving in the left-hand kingdom becomes a matter of power mm-hmm. rather than of service, then we've shifted from vocation to idolatry. Yeah. We've and become like the other nations. We've become so like the other nations. Right. Where, like the ministerial, magisterial use of reason. Exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, in terms of using power. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, the ministerial and magisterial yeah. use of power, the ministerial mm-hmm. and magisterial use of vocation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I know I've heard pastors talk about the ministerial and magisterial use of emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and or, what we mean leadership. by that, yeah. uh, ministerial use of something is something that is used in service. So like we talk about the ministerial use of of reason is that we use our reason to help us work through 
the Christian faith. And the scriptures. And the scriptures and everything else. The magisterial use of something is that something lords over all other aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. So the magisterial use of reason would be... Uh, reason usurps scripture. Reason, yeah. And so yeah. now the magisterial use of power is that what the church is after mm-hmm. is control in the left-hand kingdom. Hmm. And, and the church needs to stay in its lane and operate in the right-hand kingdom and use its operation in the right-hand kingdom to inform serve and better the left-hand kingdom. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not unreasonable for the church to call out a politician or an institution for sin, Mm -hmm. but it is entirely unreasonable for us to Christianize America through politics. Hmm. You see the difference there? And and that's what ancient Israel is doing. So, So maybe one of the lessons we step back and look at is, the generic American Christian church, an American patriotic Christianity, right. is not unique. No, it's it's this this is you know that there's nothing new under the sun, sort of a thing, right? This, this this crossing the lines, blurring the lines between the two kingdoms, is a tale as old as time, right? Beauty and the Beast reference. Yeah, I was going to say Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I was hoping Tales one of you would uh, break into song. I didn't watch that. I didn't. I never watched ones yeah. with princesses in it. So. But again, that, that, that's yeah. Disney. Uh, not that people can't serve as princesses. Clearly, they can. <laughs> I, I want to be clear on that. Talking about two kingdoms. There right? we go. <laughs> totally valid vocation. Uh, the vocation of princess. And, mm. and I think that as you look at the rest, going on, you know, looking at the the rest of of First Samuel eight. Um, you know, so the idea of the rejection of God comes in the fact that they wanted the other nations, not God, not God's design, right? Not God's plan. And God's plan is service. Well, you talk about the nature of service mm-hmm. uh, rather than lording it over the people. I mean, that that is a picture in, in my mind of, of Christ, right? So mm-hmm. the type of king that God desires and designs and ultimately the, the, uh, the reality of all of the uh, of all of what the Old Testament kings typified is that the reality is Christ. Christ, the true king, right, comes not to uh, lord it over people, not to dominate and, and ex- exert his power, but to serve, and, you know, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, I guess, to quote the scriptures exactly there. And I think that as we look at that nature of, of the king, how God used that, his condemnation of kingly authority is strictly because of that word, like the other nations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because when you look at the idea of king, you said it set up provisions in, in Deuteronomy. That is, you know, in in Second Samuel now, chapter seven, you see the picture of, to David that I'm going to establish your throne forever. He's pointing to Jesus in that, of course, and you see that that nature of the king and that reality of what a true king ought to be and look like. They were always pointing forward to something, and that something was Jesus. And I think that's a good reminder for us now, looking back to the cross rather than forward, like they were, you know, uh, you know, before the cross came. We can look back to the cross. And if we view our, um, um, let's pretend I was a king, right? If we view our vocations in the government, for instance, as this article talks about, if, if we view those vocations as a service to Christ, if we view it as a service in his kingdom, uh, you know, even though it, it's not his, mm-hmm. you know, right-hand kingdom, even though it's distinct as a left-hand kingdom, if we view that, we have, I think, honored the... Um, the desire that God had set in place with kings. 
And I think tying this to Christ really will help mm-hmm. us sort out Article 16. Yeah. Because one of the things we note is that when it comes to pointing to Christ, that the monarchy is not the exclusive vocation that points to Christ. Correct. It's, it's not just a matter of power, although it is a matter of power. Mm-hmm. Right. You also have Christ as prophet and you have Christ as priest. priest. Right. And so we, we get a picture of God's servant leadership in, in the monarchy, in his ruling and reigning, that God rules and reigns for our benefit. God rules and reigns for his own good pleasure, which is our benefit. But we also have the role of Christ serving as priest and serving as prophet. And again, uh, well, we, we, we have people pursuing certain aspects of the prophet and we have people pursuing certain aspects of the priest, but it's a lot easier to see us see people chasing after what the king stands for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that's interesting you say that because just as you said that, I'm thinking of, and I, th- I just want to make sure that I'm not violating the text again like I did earlier, but <laughs> when, when the people are saying to Samuel, behold, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways, it's interesting that they recognize his servant leadership. Isn't it? That they recognize that in him and that his sons don't have that. We don't want your sons doing that. And yet then all of a sudden give us a king like the rest of the nation. And they choose poorly between two bad options. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so it's it's funny. They saw the issue and then they, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they pose two bad options, like you just said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking too of, you know, Jesus when he is before Pilate and, and says, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, and, and I think these guys, you know, they wanted a kingdom like the world. Yeah. They specifically wanted mm-hmm. a kingdom like the world. That's right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then in that Samuel says, okay, <laughs> you know, because God said, okay. Right. And yeah. then he goes on to explain, okay, yep. if you want a king like that, here's what you get. They're going to take your sons. They're going to take your daughters. They're going to take your, your grain. They're going to take, you know, realize that this, if, if you're looking for this, this is the reality of what kingship is going to look mm-hmm. like for you. Uh, again, setting up that contrast between servant leadership and lording it over the people. And we see the outcome of this is the amount of suffering that the people inflicted on themselves for their decision, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that God permitted this to happen, uh, and he used it as an opportunity, uh, another opportunity to point to Jesus. But what Samuel says, look, the king's going to take your sons and your daughters. He's going to tax you beyond all belief. And, and the people were so obsessed with being like the other nations that they forgot what it was like to be under God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and again, how much of what we see happening in society with the church of the right and the church of the left, politically speaking, is the same thing. We, we, we get so obsessed with a horizontal comparison between landmarks that we forget about that glorious vertical reality of the church before God because of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I'm trying desperately not to pick fights with the right or with the left because it happens yeah. in spades on both sides. But when, when the, church, the, the pattern the church operates under in society is that horizontal comparison between other systems rather than, well, you know, let's just have a hypothetical here that if we don't get involved in politics, 
then someone else is going to be ruling over us, right? Mm -hmm. And and so we want to chase after that power. There might be some truth to that, but the church needs to stand on the promise that God made in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. So ultimately, there is no threat to the church. The church will be persecuted, but even that persecution is not a threat. Momentarily, temporally speaking, yes, it's threatening. I'm not going to say to the Christians in Baghdad, Mm-hmm. that they're not being threatened, or the Christians hiding in Afghanistan right now, that there is no threat. Eternally speaking, though, there is no threat, which is why God starts here and, and in other places in Scripture, stop comparing yourself to something else laterally. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there's no need because what we have as his children is entirely unique. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, to think about the nature of how um, and I can't remember right off the top of my head if it's in Romans 13 or if it's somewhere else uh, where it talks about all authority is appointed by God. There isn't anyone who is in authority that isn't, Thirteen, which is the nature of um, God's power over circumstances. So when we have that, that fear, like you just said, well, we've got to be in power, otherwise somebody else will be in power over us. We have every right to run, but we have to recognize that the decision is from the Lord. And sometimes he allows, you know, difficulty, he allows people that, you know, in, in power that do not stand in his ways and he still uses it. He, you know, it's funny, he's still on his throne after all that yeah. said and done, right. you know, it seems like he's still there. Right. And, and it's kind of encouraging to know that even like in this situation, okay, they're going to want kings, there's going to be problems. They want to be like the rest of the nations, they're going to see what that looks like. They're going to deal with it. Yet it's that very same thing that God has never left his throne. He's never out of control there. And he's always pointing people back to the reality, he even uses that and usurps that for his glory and to point us to the cross. I wonder how much of what we struggle with in the church today in this area is a product of false dichotomies, Mm -hmm. that either we rule politically or we're ruled politically. And and instead, the answer is to be involved in politics in a better way, and that's by vocation, Mm -hmm. to love your neighbor. Same thing with the culture wars. Either we dominate the culture or the secularists dominate the culture, and the answer is no. Be involved in culture in a better way through right. your vocation, right? You, you have the realm of politics. I mean, go down that list that you read two episodes ago, Brett, of, of what is permissible for yeah, a Christian right. and to look. That's all a matter of vocation. Yep. It's not a matter that we elect good Christian politicians so that the Christians can be in charge. Is that we elect good Christian politicians who will rule wisely. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a matter of uh, we, we let the LGBTQ... IA plus whatever acronym it is now dominate the culture or we Christianize everything. It's that we encourage good art, not Christian art, good art that reflects truth, beauty, mm-hmm. and reality around us. It's, you know, there, there you can have good music mm. without 90s CCM. <laughs> and good science. Good science. As well. Good art. Good everything. It's a matter of serving rather than of pursuing power. And that's the commentary that Article 16 mm-hmm. and, and 1 Samuel 8 are married to right there. It's, it's not that, well, if we don't thrust ourselves into politics whole hog, the alternative is you just withdraw from politics altogether. That's a false dichotomy. The, the, the response to the church going whole hog on politics is for the church to be involved in politics in a better biblical right. way. Right. Which, you know, to put the most charitable construction on 
you know, those that might disagree with us, I think that's probably what they want. Uh, and, without and, even really expressing it that way. Yeah, and, and if that's what you want, then the question you have to answer and, and the answer you have to demonstrate is how is this a matter of service? Mm-hmm. How is this a matter of love rather than a matter of power and control? Mm-hmm. And, and if, if you can say that, and if you can articulate that, and we disagree, so be it. Mm-hmm. We work together in our disagreement as, as fellow humans and, and as fellow Christians. But if in self-examination, my way of being involved culturally or politically, or your way of being involved culturally or politically does devolve down to a matter of power and a matter of control, mm-hmm. then that is an area that demands repentance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Somebody who expressed that wisely... <laughs> I don't know how this is going to tie up with first, you know, Samuel <laughs> 8. Somebody yeah. expressed that wisely was Dallas Jenkins, the uh, producer of The Chosen, um, and he's had a number of other movies. He came to speak to my class when I was at Northwestern. Small class. Ironically, your sister, Jason, was in my class, uh, uh, and your brother-in-law. Uh, they were they were in, in my class, and it was probably 10 of us, maybe 12 of us in the class. He came and he talked about the vision that he had was not to produce Christian, you know, movies. He had a great understanding of, of uh, vocation. He said, not just Christian movies, but, although The Chosen most definitely yeah. is, uh, but he said, I want to produce good movies with good biblical uh, messages and themes, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to avoid every worldly topic and every worldly situation. And you know, in a lot of his movies, Midnight Clear is another one of them that he does that. And I think it's a good reminder and a good picture of what it's like for Christians to serve in a broader context in vocation, uh, showing Christ to the world, loving our neighbors for Jesus through you know through the power of Jesus. And and I think we would all recognize that there's a difference between what he has produced in the chosen and I've only seen brief snippets of it versus campy Christian entertainment that has been released. I'm not even going to name names because everyone's going to come up with something in their name <laughs> different. The last 40 years Christian entertainment's been awful. Yeah. yeah. It, it's been atrocious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, uh... <laughs> how did we get in on a high spot? <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, Whoops. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening today. Next week, we'll have our New Testament episode. Right. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.